Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hello from really humid Florida. Hello. (laughs) I'm so sweaty. Help. We are uh, currently traveling in Florida, and for that very reason, we are going to provide you today the beautiful sounds of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, You're going to be hearing our Portland show. Yay! Which, by the way, was one of our favorite shows. It was very loud, and Uh it might shock you, too, (laughs) that people thought we were really funny in Portland. We're really only posting it as proof in case anyone says, you're lying, because we want other people to hear it, too. But you're a great audience. I mean, you're all a great audience, but we had an awesome time in Portland. Yes. Uh, And we hope you like it. The stories are super fun. Yeah. I think these are two of our best... coolest topics so far yeah we're cool yeah we're just really cool that's all we're trying to say why don't you get it after several several episodes we are hip and with it (laughs) it only took a hundred and however many i don't even want to guess (laughs) we're hip and with it all right thanks guys we'll come back at you next week with um a recorded episode but for now we hope you enjoy our portland show and we hope we get to see you some of our upcoming live shows um go to and that's where we drink.com slash live we're going to the midwest and some other places soon so hopefully we'll see you yay bye so let's crack into the city poop. Sorry. I feel like a kid that's like about to give a presentation that he has no idea. Listen, we just flew in from Los Angeles. And boy, are my arms tired. Fun fact, he was a wonton. English is my first language. Is Tamara Holmes? Sassy with me. Sassy the clown. Clown is shy. Eva, Eva, wow. write, Eva, write that down. Write that down. Wow. Hi, that Portland. was the best. What the fuck? The? You're crying? Oh, you're hot. Okay, I get it. That's fine. Uh, Holy shit. That's the loudest we've ever heard ever. in our entire lives. No. No, that's the loudest. Yeah. No, you beat you beat Texas, so that's saying something. 
Holy crap. Did you guys like that uh, that little that weird intro? That weird thing? intro we just did? You're the first people to ever hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the last, we'll see. <laughs> we, uh, we were like, let's see what happens. So thank you guys for being oh, our guinea pigs. Oh my God, this is so cool. I love Portland. I've never been here before. No, me either. Yeah. But I've had a blast. It's so... I do know that I'm not cool enough to be here, I think. So you guys are way cooler than me. Everyone in Portland looks so cool. Right. Like, everyone looks so stylish. They, I look... like, can pull off a beanie. Like, everyone can right. pull off a beanie. I don't know how it happens. I, I tried wearing a beanie all day yesterday <laughs> to, like, fit in, and it didn't work. No. Everyone and knows. I have two friends from high school that live here, too, so I've been hanging out with them, and they were both like, why the fuck are you wearing a beanie? And I was like... We're trying. I was like, don't, don't ruin my shot here, but... I've had so much beer in the last 24 hours, I think. Yeah. So much beer. So many donuts. So much pizza. Oh, I've had, I've oh had pizza God. three times now. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys have good pizza. I, I also, I treated myself to uh, a date to myself. Aw. And I, I took myself out to, uh, you got, it's called, it was an ice cream place that was called like 50 Licks or something. Aw. That was very good. And then I went blacklight mini golfing. That was awesome. Wow. <laughs> it was bananas. I went, I did the opposite and I went to uh, Powell's bookstore and bought some books. <laughs> So you, you were having a rager, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, in hushed tones, but it was good. Christine's aesthetic is also barcades, which you guys have really yes, thrown Barcade down with in Portland, so. Blaze and Eva and I played pinball until the wee hours of the morning. Yes. yes. Anyway. But I guess what we're trying to say is thank you so much yes, for your awesome city here. and letting us That's come great. here. <laughs> so I'm hoping that you guys know my story. I think you just might. Okay. Do okay. I know it? You need to watch your mouth, whoever said that. What did they say? They said the name of my story before I could, the Shanghai Tunnels. What is it? Oh, okay. I was going to do that too, so that's awkward. Glad oh, I didn't. I really, I really thought too. I was like... Because I talked about it last night. I was like, oh yeah, I was going to cover that. And I just see M go pale. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, whoo, dodged a bullet. We have yet to uh, report on the same story by accident. It's going to happen someday. One day I'm going to be like, this is my story. And Christine's going to go, oh, shit. I don't have any well, notes now. I'm the one who's screwed, so you're, you'll be <sighs> fine. Anyway, yes, it is the Shanghai Tunnels. I've heard you know about it. So uh, That's why. Because yesterday I was like, oh, there's this cool ghost tour of the Shanghai Tunnels. And you like didn't respond. And I was like, what an asshole. <laughs> Christine was it. like, don't you want to go? And I you're was like... like that's very expensive. I was like, I guess. Okay, I was fine. Like, I'm busy Christ. actually researching that exact thing right yeah, now. Yeah, I get it now. This is my own ghost tour. Uh, yes. Well, welcome to, to my version of the tour. So I've been on it for like two years, so it's fine. <laughs> we all have, it. in a way. I'm so. used to it by now. And that's why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better 
every year and it is just you when you think it can't get any better and easier it does i've been using squarespace since 2017 um, and in that time they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website so anytime i make a website for any reason that's where i go when you're ready to get started you can use one of squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category and then you can customize it you can customize the look add new content add features to fit your unique needs it's just a great spot to have a landing page for you for your business for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase squarespace is the best platform to use in my opinion Opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. The Shanghai Tunnels. It is the most popular and the most haunted attraction in Portland. Aww. It is uh, one of the most consistently active locations uh, on the Pacific Northwest. Okay. So it's pretty much like one of the top places that it's guaranteed that you're going to find something or feel something. Well, I wish we'd gone on that ghost tour last night. That would, I really, I should have said yes, sorry. <laughs> I needed some me time at a blacklight mini golf course, so. It's okay, I was reading a book, so. Right. <laughs> so there are, I'm just gonna, in case someone doesn't happen to live here and wants to go on this tour, um, or if you live here and want to go on the tour, I just assume all your parents have dragged you there since you were children, so. That's only you as a parent. That's not most people as parents. <laughs> Let's find the most haunted place and bring our infant yeah. and then make them go every week, every year. So there are two different uh, tours. One is by the Cascade Historical Society and one by the Portland Walking Tours. So, all right. Cool. Someone likes that one a whole lot more. Oh. So, uh, so the tunnels, in case I have to describe a tunnel to you, are catacombs under the streets uh, of Portland, Oregon, going from the north end to the south end, ending at the riverfront. Um, in the 19th century... Uh, the tunnels were built because Portland businesses were originally carrying freight through the muddy streets, and they were like, fuck that. So <laughs> they decided to dig tunnels under the town, starting at the water, um, and that way they could bring supplies up without actually disturbing the roads anymore, and it was super efficient. Um, and the tunnels are connected to this day to a lot of the basements of many businesses in the area. Oh, that's cool. So 
Some of the tunnels have been preserved and are accessible on the tours. Uh, two of them are the tunnels next to or underneath um, Hobo's Restaurant cool. and Old Town Pizza. That's where we went. That's where we, we went last night. We, yeah. we went there, by the way. Because Blaze was like, oh, there's this like haunted pizza place, so I guess before you find it, I'll just take you there. <laughs> and then Eva was like, yeah, Emma and I found this haunted pizza place. And I was like, well, we yeah. were bound to end up there. Eva and I went to the front desk and asked for like a brochure of like stuff going on in Portland to see. And the first thing was haunted pizzeria. And I was like, well, Eva, <laughs> guess we know what we're doing. No wonder Blaze got on a plane this morning and went back to LA. <laughs> right. He was like, I'm out. Um, so while these tunnels were originally used for hauling imports, they became used for much more sinister activities. Oh, good. Which, by the way, very quickly get really dark and not funny, so oh. I hope you had fun laughing. Stop laughing. Because that's over now. We're so, not having fun anymore. As, uh, Portland pop- as Portland's population grew, a lot of people with not-so-great agendas moved into the area, and uh, the tunnels began being used by people sneaking in and using them as gang territory. Yeah, huh? Uh-oh. Sure. Don't say anything. Sure. Just be really sure. nice. You never know. Sure, 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 sure. All right. They would use the tunnel as gambling <laughs> and opium dens um, underneath the saloons on the main level. So at the same time, the gold rush was happening at its peak, and businesses were losing their cheap labor during this time. So um, they wanted free labor if possible. They wanted to try to get as many people working for them that they could while people didn't really want to be working for anyone. So sea captains found that difficult. They were like, how are we going to keep a shipping business running where no one wants to work for us? And they're like, I know, we'll just kidnap people oh, to do this. the age-old solution to hiring, right. hiring problems. It's before ZipRecruiter, so nobody, right. they, didn't, they had no other option. Hashtag ad? Hashtag? <laughs> Should I say the promo code? No, I'm just <laughs> Use our promo code, something drink. So... Uh, so, sea captains started making deals with crimps. With what? I know, that's why I said it slowly. <laughs> so, crimps were thugs and gang members in the area. Uh, they had a lot of power over the town. Eventually, I think at one point, I read that they start, they were able to take over, uh, nearly 20 of the surrounding cities of Portland. What? They, like, just took over the whole area. Uh-oh. So... Uh oh, yes. Uh oh, I mean. So, a lot of crimps also started working in the bars as bartenders because the buildings were owned by their gang leaders. Okay. So, uh, as the, the saloons were above, and basically this was the whole plan that the sea captains had with crimps to be able to get free labor slash slaves, um, they would tell the crimps that they were going to be in the bar that night that they worked at. They were going to try to talk to, uh, I said two a lot there. They were I didn't say two. anything. Sorry. I heard it in my head and my like medication hasn't totally kicked in. So I like, I'm getting paranoid. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Stop encouraging that. You'll know it kicked in when I go, oh, no. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so at the saloons above the tunnels, the captains would meet uh, men in the bar, and these men were people who were usually passing through. They were kind of nobodies that anyone would realize would go missing. Um, They were very, like, transient workers. And so 
the bar, basically the sea captain, once he approved of a guy that he wanted to make work, uh, he, <laughs> trying to avoid the word slave, I really, it's weird. So, um, not funny. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like what it is, though, right? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just, I'm uncomfortable reading this really dark thing, because we're a comedy show. Welcome to my fucking world, dude. Right. You're right. So, he would decide on an able-bodied man that could probably bode well working on a ship, and so he he would give a signal to the bartender by touching the guy on the shoulder, and that was the bartender's way of being like, okay, that's the guy that we're going to lure downstairs. So once he selected a guy, he would then leave. Uh, he would sometimes offer a drink or a meal or something like that, and the bartender would make sure that that food and or drink was drugged. Oh, no. So uh, they would drug the man's food or drink, and then they would bring him to the back of the bar once he wasn't himself. And in the back of the bar, they had a system that basically was a, a trap door of sorts. Oh, God. They would... Uh, have him standing on the trap door, and then he would just fall right down to the tunnel, and uh, two men would be waiting for him. Two other cramps would have already been in position to grab him when he fell down the tunnel, and they would drag him into a holding cell. What the fuck? they They would also make sure to take his shoes, and they would pour shattered glass around his holding cell, so if he did wake up and try to escape, he couldn't. that's evil. Apparently, on one of these tours, you actually, they still have a very well-preserved box of a lot of the men's shoes. (gasps) Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. There's that gasp we all wanted. Hey, they did it too, I heard it. Right. (laughs) In unison. So... Uh, the guy would then be held down there without food or water for days, and then they would feed him a big meal, which was also drugged. Oh, God. Um, but they would, they would deprive him of food, so that way when they gave him food, he would absolutely eat all of it. And then they would drug him so that he would sleep easy, and it would make him easier to move towards uh, when they were dragging him under the tunnels to the harbor so that they could sell him off to captains at $50 a person. What the fuck? And $50 then, depending on the year, because this is from the 1850s to the 1940s, is how long, long this happened. Almost 100 years Holy of this. Holy shit. So depending on the time, $50 was either, was somewhere between 1000 and $1,500. Oh my God. Um, when they would wake up from being drugged, they would usually have already been chained to a dungeon in a ship that's already out at sea on the way to China. Oh, my God. Hence the phrase Shanghai. So. Oh, I get it. (laughs) That'll do it. I didn't get it until now. (laughs) I get it now. Thanks. Good. I'm teaching. I'm an educator. Put that on your your LinkedIn. (laughs) So, Shanghaiing became a massive problem, and Portland actually became the Shanghai capital of the world. Oh, Congratulations. Don't cheer for that. But I did have a beer. I think I had a beer called that. Now it's a little darker. I was like, oh, that's Uh-oh. cute. No, it was not cute. Well, it gets worse. So, great. On average, um, and keep in mind, this was like a 90-year thing. Uh, on average, 1,500 to 3,000 people were Shanghaied every year. Oh, shit. So, what the fuck? You're not perfect, Portland. Yeah. 
Yeah, how cool are you now? Yeah, with your beanies, ooh. I fucking got you. Show us. So, then Prohibition began. And, uh, (laughs) Team Wine, uh, yeah, this is not the place for that. Uh, so when the prohibition began, they had bars, uh, they had the bars and the saloons upstairs on the main floor, main floor, main level, main floor, floor of the world. Yes. You have, Um, you're good. They had their, they started sneaking alcohol down to the tunnels and basically the entire tunnel system became one big speakeasy. Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. We still remember the last part, though, so don't... But, because now everyone was in the tunnels, it actually made luring men away from everyone even easier. Uh, yeah. Because they didn't need well. to drag them into the back and have a trap door set up. They what? could just get you... They're already there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck. So, yeah. <laughs> so, terrible. this whole time that men... Oh, this is where it gets really fucked up now, sorry. Huh. Now it gets fucked up? It's just like an extra layer to the onion that we're all going to really hate. So okay, I'm going to be really quiet. The whole time that the men were being trafficked into labor, women were also being heavily sex trafficked. Okay. And with the tunnels having so much gang activity, this stemmed from prostitution being a high demand. Um, and women were, being, were also being drugged, thrown down the trapdoor, and sold into sex work. Um, if they accidentally decided to drug a pregnant woman, they would kill her on the spot. Oh my God. Because she was not useful. (gasps) Oh my God, Em. What the fuck? I know. I didn't, I did write this, but I didn't write this. Yeah, I was like, thank God I didn't cover this story. Jeez. Uh, many captives, men and women died in these cells because they're being put in these holding cells until they can get sold off. So they were malnutrition they had malnutrition and they were also being overdosed on drugs so they would stay sedated so a lot of people died that way holy shit Um, also in the tunnels many gangs would get into fights with their rival groups in the tunnels so one particular event um, in the tunnel underneath the corner of Stark Avenue and Birdside Street (laughs) All right, you guys know your streets okay um a fight broke out in the tunnels underneath that corner where a rival gang showed up uh, where they weren't supposed to. They brought Tommy guns and axes. Oh! And they posed as Portland police. Ah! Oh. And then they started chasing everyone. Oh, no. To kill them. Oh, no. And this happened in the middle of essentially a bar. So there were a bunch of innocent patrons there. And oh, so shit. they got caught in the mix and they got really scared so they were trying to flee the area but they got confused in the tunnels and so they ended up in a dead end and <gasps> everyone died oh my god what the fuck look this is why you guys shouldn't have to go to this tour company I'm right here telling you all the good stuff yeah I don't know sorry to everyone who's already been on this tour by the way and I'm sorry just telling you things you know sorry to all the tour guides in the audience yikes <laughs> so um Yeah, so they ran to a dead end, and they were all murdered by the rival gang. In the early 1900s, there was one woman who was sex trafficked named... It's spelled like Nina, but I'm told it's Nina. Okay, I did. I got it. You did. Good job. I did it. All right. I'm just basking in your love that I know how to say a name. I think we're all... (laughs) 
We're all looking for something to be happy about, so I think we right. clung on to that. Yeah, they're like, like, Nina, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you're not going to feel that way in a second. Oh, nice try. So apparently by the amount of people who told me her name's Nina in the audience, you know what's going to happen. She was approached by, there's one, hold on, hang on a sec. This was Do you want me to pause it? That's what I yeah, usually Yeah, elevator say. music. Do you want me no. <laughs> so um, she, in one story I saw, I don't know if this is like the, a regular theme throughout her story, but um, one aspect that I did see is that she had just given birth to a daughter, and so she was more sensitive to the fact that her child could also be brought into sex trafficking. Um, so she was approached by missionaries. This was in the early 1900s. And they told her, we can help you get out. Just please comply with us and tell us everything you know, and we'll take you to the police. Um, so she told them everything, thinking, you know, maybe I can oh, prevent my oh, daughter oh. from getting into this. Oh. And uh, the next day she was found drugged <gasps> and thrown down an elevator shaft <gasps> of the merchant hotel where she worked. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so. What the fuck? Um, this is usually, I mean, Okay. Just keep going, I guess. We're getting to the ghost soon. It's, it's too late now. <laughs> hang on. So the reason that she might have been, well, they don't really know who the killer was, but they think it could either have been a client who wasn't pleased, or it could be her, I don't know the right word. This is the wrong time to figure this out. I'm not going to say one her, goddamn thing. The person who claimed her, I don't know what the right word for that is. Right, okay. Pimp, is that still what we say? Okay. I didn't say I, anything. I, a sea of people said it first, so I'm like a hundredth in line right now. So, oh uh, yeah. So they think that it could have been her P word, <laughs> or it could have been the other P word, the police, because I was um, like the other one. Because apparently, this entire time since the 1850s, the police politicians and local businesses all knew that this shit was happening. Oh, great. And they gave their blessing for it to continue. Shocker. Everyone so, is very shocked. Apparently, they all knew about it and would turn a blind eye, and so they think that when, they, when she went to tell the police, the police then found the right. pimp and then like told him, hey, by the way, she's coming to us about this. Like, oh, someone came to us and it was her. Yeah, the exact yeah. opposite of what that should have happened, I think. Great. So, but that, so they don't know who, who killed her, but those are all potential options. All so, P potential P words. Potential P words, yeah. yeah. Got it. And so in 1902, um, even more deaths happened when uh, 100 men were all shanghaied onto the same <laughs> ship, and they were chained together on a ship called the Jennifer Joe, and that, okay... Hang on. There's Jennifer Joe, right? <laughs> she's and she's here tonight. Woohoo! So uh, the Jennifer Joe sank, and since a hundred <gasps> of them were all chained Stop together, it. they all died together. What the fuck? But it's thought that all one hundred of them haunt the tunnels because that's well, the last yeah. place they remember being beforehand. So. Oh my God. Um, there are. So the human trafficking in the tunnels ended by World War II. So 1941 seems to be the consensus of when this all finally ended. Right. And the tunnels were officially padlocked to keep intruders out. And they stayed empty for a while until the Cascade Historical Society, which is one of the companies that does the tours, um, 
found, I don't know if they found them or discovered them or decided to open them up and restore them. And after that, uh, began offering tours. So that is the history of the Shanghai Tunnels. So. Woo. That was a Thank lot. Thank you. That was a lot, man. A lot of information to soak a in. A lot so. of darkness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's move on to the part that we all came here for. Please. So I didn't put these in order. So <laughs> we're going to wing it. It wouldn't be authentic if, if you did put them Welcome in Welcome to a school book report by yes. M. Schultz. Where as I read it, I go, oh, shit. No way. So we're going to learn together. All right. So one of the buildings uh, involved with the tunnels was the Merchant Hotel, which was where right. Nina fell, fell down in. the elevator shaft. Right. Fell. Was murdered. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. You Rest should in peace, be girl. sorry. God damn it, Em. So apparently the Merchant Hotel now is Old Town Pizza, where we were. Oh, no. Yeah. I was there yesterday. We were there. We were. Uh, I only had good things to say, but apparently other people like oh. Nina might not. So, oh. um, wow. so this is the building where she was uh, killed, down the ele- killed down the elevator shaft, you know. So uh, apparently we should have, had I known and like really prepared my notes in advance, I would have checked this with you. But apparently by the elevator shaft, uh, the original elevator shaft, which apparently has since then been turned into a booth, which I think is the one we were sitting oh, at. Yeah, I think so. Because remember, remember there was a lot of shit etched into those walls. We found a weird spot in the side that was in a little, like a little alcove. I think Eva actually said, oh, this part looks the most haunted. Let's yes. sit there. There was a lot of weird stuff on those walls. So but, apparently, uh, you know, honestly, in Portland, I feel like every bar has like weird shit all over your walls. Right. So. This is not surprising. I've seen a lot of weird stuff over the last 24 hours. I liked everything I saw, though. Oh, yeah, not complaining. It was, it was all very nice. Yeah. So, uh, so apparently in one of the bricks in the wall, her name is etched in there after oh, her. Oh, my God. Okay. So we should have looked for that. I saw someone, we saw someone named Evan etched into the bird. We saw someone named Eva and then someone else etched an N in there. And we got really excited at first and we were like, oh, fucking Evan just had to ruin it for our picture. So um, people see, so in the tunnels, people see apparitions of a lady in a black dress floating down the room. Um, isn't that funny? <laughs> oh my God. He really got into that one. I love it. I, I knew I was going to get you. I didn't know where. That's, that's the one. So uh, apparently she likes to stand on the balcony. Now you're supposed to laugh. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> she likes to stand on the balcony and stare at you, which is just way creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, people can usually smell her perfume, and then right after they smell her perfume, they see her shadow hiding behind people they came there with. Uh... Uh-uh. That's a firm pass is what that is. Oh, is that why I saw that weird shadow behind you the whole time you were eating? I think so, pizza? yeah. <laughs> I think so. It wasn't just like me growing because of all the pizza yeah. I ate. It could have been that. It could have been that. So uh, chairs, heavy furniture, and kitchen items all move on their own. People hear footsteps walking toward them, and employees have heard and seen her walking toward them and then turning and walking down to the basement where the tunnels used to be. 
Uh-oh. Or still are, you know. So uh, in the tunnels, people have felt uh, cold, wet hands grab them. Sick. Just the worst. Just the worst. Uh, and they've also seen dark, shadowy figures with laser red eyes. Okay. One spirit apparently likes to scare people by moving glasses around in the actual bar itself. And so they've found the glasses stacked together in no, weird ways. I don't like that. It's very poltergeisty. Very poltergeisty. Yeah. And apparently this thing also likes to trip them. So That's, he's also a dick. Yeah. That's just rude. So remember where the, the bar patrons, they got scared and ran to the dead end and died? Yeah, I remember. Of the, we, un- we, don't, we won't forget that. Yep. So apparently right where they died, people see a crowd of glowing humanoid oh, shapes floating around as if they still can't figure out how to get out. Oh, God. That's Yikes. so dark. Very sad. Um, people have felt them... Oh, this, I, this is, like, fucked up, but I thought it was interesting, at least. That sounds exactly like this tagline for Welcome our podcast. Welcome to our podcast, yeah. yeah. So, uh... Can all of you go to the rest of our shows forever? Because yeah, that's... <laughs> wow. You guys are our new groupies, so welcome. <laughs> We're going to talk about this, like, for the rest of the night. You yeah. guys are probably Thanks. one of the best crowds You're we've ever had. You're hyping us up. I love it. <laughs> usually after our shows, usually after our shows, Christina and I meet in one of our hotel rooms and, like, Either or none of us are wearing pants. We're just like... Never wearing pants. And then guess what happens? Thanks for saying that, but like I'm never wearing pants. Like usually like we're like ready to go to bed and I'll like knock on a door on your door to like say something really quick and then it turns into like a three hour conversation. And then it's like, hmm, I haven't been wearing pants this whole time. Awkward. But usually during those conversations we talk about like, oh, how do you think the audience went? How do you think the show went? And tonight we're both gonna be like, this was fucking awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait to take off my pants. Yeah. And then we'll rip off our pants. So, speaking of which, guys, yesterday I was in Canada, and I definitely... (laughs) Speaking of pants not being on. So, uh, I was in Canada, and I'm sure someone here might have seen my Instagram picture where I was... (laughs) Not wearing... The most uh, usual clothing. And then someone also commented, by the way, being like, wow, those are some great gifts you got. And I was like, no, I bought all of those. I promptly responded, do you really think M didn't buy those on Amazon before we left for yeah, fucking Yeah, I bought those when I was in America, by the way, yeah. before I got to Canada. And I had a whole thing set up, and I was like, this is go time. So the fact that we're here the day after Canada, and we're like, holy shit, this is incredible, is saying yeah. something, by the way. So. Like, I was just in Canada, and this is fucking awesome. What the fuck? All right, we're done pandering. You should probably keep talking now. Oh, whoops, sorry. I feel like they're going to get mad. It's, we're, we're devolving. We're devolving. We're devolving. Okay. Eva, just take all that out, please. Eva, edit that out. Yep. So, uh, where were we? I don't know, but somewhere fucked up, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, this is fucked up, but it's interesting. Oh, right, 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 right. So, uh, the people And then we who... went to pants. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on. So, uh, 
By the way, the thing I was going to say about the pants. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> What's the thing? We about- didn't even go there. The thing that I was going to say is that one of the things that I wore on stage in front of like, oh, right. several hundred people was a, uh, hum- like an adult onesie right. of, the can- of Canadian leaves and everywhere in the leaves it says A. But uh, it had a butt flap. It had a butt flap. Where in big letters it said A. And that was what I meant when I said pants. I just wanted everyone to know what happened. Em's um, just going to talk about this for the rest of their life. So Sorry. It's fine. We're almost done. Sorry, 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 sorry. So. Uh, oh, my. Well. <laughs> well, it's well, the ghost of the Oh, thank you. I'm not going to open it now because if something, if it's anthrax, like the show won't. <laughs> We will, we will, we'll we will make it. Eva Don't open worry. it. <laughs> if so there's that. peanut butter in there, we'll make Gio open it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> basically, let's get back to death. So, the, uh, the people who ran into the tunnel and ended up dying, apparently they uh, also, some of them had actually found a way out up into the, the main floor where there was the saloon. Right. And apparently that residual haunting is also there. So sometimes oh. when people see a mass of glowing humanoid things in the tunnel, right. at the same time upstairs in the bar, oh, uh, there will also be glowing, wispy, misty looking things. Yeah. But they will hit people in the shoulder. They'll like fly past you and have knocked chairs over and people will feel like a whole person ran into them. Oh, so God. Cool, but also when no, you think that so they're cr- trying to escape. That's from, terrifying. Yeah. So... Moving on. Uh, you can hear people talking in the walls. Fun. Um, Sorry, what? You can hear people what? Talking in the walls. Oh, in, I thought you said to the walls. I was like, well, I'm sure I've done that before. <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it. You can hear them talking in the walls. You can hear cries and moans, and you can hear those sounds getting louder and louder as it gets closer to the part of the wall that you've been listening to. So you'll hear from far away on the other side of the wall, and then eventually it's like talking at you on the other side of the wall. Yeah, I don't love, I don't love that. Really. There there is an apparition of a 9-year-old. Okay. That people have seen because apparently kids were hired to clean the holding cells. <gasps> no. What the fuck? After the men were sold off. So, uh people also hear disembodied screaming and murmuring. Uh there's a woman that people can hear singing a lullaby. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then also people feel clothes on them being tugged in some of the bars above the tunnels. Items will fly across the room at you and hands will grab your neck. Uh-oh. Fun. Uh-oh. Um, also on the properties that are now hotels above the tunnels. Um, so like if they're now, if they're now currently hotels, people say that, uh, they have experienced people thumping under their bed. Uh, uh, uh-uh. uh. Like, as if lying underneath the bed. Um, knocking on the headboard. Uh, they have seen spirits standing in storage closets. They will have experienced, uh, they're, like, they all of a sudden can't breathe anymore. Like, something's preventing them oh from breathing. Oh, my God. What the fuck? And uh, guests have reportedly put salt around their bed to protect themselves at night, which eh. is not Probably a bad idea. Smart. Probably smart. 
Um, in the tunnels, uh, people also have seen apparitions of the actual Shanghaiers themselves. Uh-oh. And they have had bricks thrown at them. Oh, God. Especially the staff members. And when you're in the room with all of the shoes, because originally when they were restoring the tunnels, all the shoes hadn't actually been exhumed. And so over time, as they've been clearing this out, they've been finding shoes in the floors. Oh, God. And so in, oh, in the rooms where they found shoes, if you're an employee, the, the, someone something will throw bricks at you. Oh, so, God. Uh, there are 13 sets of chimes, wind chimes, that they have put throughout the tunnels to pick up any motion. So if something runs by, the, the chimes will move. Oh, okay. That's um, the creepiest possible noise that could happen. Right. If... Also because it sounds so beautiful usually. So it's like really Haunting. ominous. Um, apparently there's no airflow in the tunnels, so when they do swing like crazy and no right. one's there, it's a scary sight. Right. A scary sound. So, before I leave, I couldn't not bring up Bagel Bites, right? I mean, I guess. So, first of all, I want to say, I recommend the shit out of this episode. It was very good. Oh, for God's... Sorry, right. sorry, I really liked it. All right. Explain so, yourself. Uh, first of all, the, the spirit box was very active on the show where you ask questions and then act, another voice actually comes out on the other end of the machine and you can hear a response. Um, so he asked, Nina, can you come talk to us? And the spirit box and a female voice said, where are you? Uh-oh. Then the spirit box also picked up a woman saying, he's mine. Uh-oh. And he fell. So they didn't know where those came from, but they did pick that up. Um, they also saw a woman standing next to them, next to the old uh, holding cell for the women who were being held captive. Mm-mm. So they saw a woman standing there. Uh, at one point, one of them shouted out, what do you want to do to me? And the spirit box, it, at first was a man's voice saying, alone. Uh-oh. And a woman said, can't believe you. Uh-oh. I don't know what that means. I'm just reporting the news. So, but this is when like more intelligent uh, responses started showing up because when Zach sat down on the bed where the women used to be held, he said, what, uh, he said, uh, oh, he didn't even say anything. He just sat down on the bed. (laughs) And then a female voice uh, said two different things that came out, in my opinion, actually clear as day. Um, a female voice said, what should I do? Oh. And let's get naked. Like, if this weren't a fucked up story, yeah. hysterical. <laughs> Especially because it's Zach Bagans. Yeah. Uh, but I thought those were both very interesting. And yes. then, uh, then he, oh, and then this was also really good. They ended up asking... Uh, what were you doing when you were shanghai And a male voice said in the spirit box, I was wasted. And then said, I was beaten. Oh, that was funny for a second. And so then they said, who beat you? And also clear as day, you can hear the same male voice say, it was someone. So like, they didn't know, but the fact that that was an answer that came out in live time That's was pretty, pretty weird. cool. So then they used essentially a motion detection device where they had a like a invisible line where if any shadow or anything moved through it, there would be a little alarm that went off. So um, they used that uh, while they were walking around different rooms. And at one point, 
One of them said, I'd be pretty pissed too if I got Shanghai and dropped down here and made a slave. And when he said that, a bunch of doors in the room next to them rattled on their own. Ooh, yuck. Um, then they began to feel dizzy when they were trying to actually open one of the holding cells. And then they heard heavy boot steps walking in the room next to them. And then the holding cell door that they were trying to open opened by itself. And the mo- at the same time that the door opened by itself, the motion detector went off in the other room while the camera pointed at the motion detector uh, caught a white mist floating in the air. Okay. Um, while near the holding cell door, it also begins creeping, uh, creaking again and another white mist orb passes by. And finally, on the thermal imaging uh, system that they had, a humanoid figure walks past the doorway, but the heat signatures show that it's an extremely cold figure, and it walks right towards Aaron when he starts getting really, really lightheaded. Poor Aaron. Poor Aaron. I feel like that should be a hashtag at this point. Poor Aaron. (laughs) But anyway, that is the story of the Shanghai Tunnels. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything I'm telling you from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, that was 
creepy as hell. I'm glad I didn't cover it because... Me too, for a lot of reasons. But I I do want to say, I don't know what Christine's story is, but I do want to say I'm... Oh, Lord. Sorry. I'm... I'm very excited to hear it because for the last half an hour, she would not shut up. And she's been like, you would, you're going to love this story. It's going to be so, you're going to love this story. So no pressure, Christine, but I'm fucking stoked. When Em says the last half hour, they mean the last like 48 hours. When we were, oh, right. Yeah. Yes. I honest to God, like at like 2 a.m. was texting Em like still trying to figure out how many of these notes I can keep because it's so, this is okay. Let me just tell you. This is the longest... No, I'm not organized. That's the problem. This is the longest and, like, most intense note session I've ever done for any live show or episode, honestly. (laughs) Honest to God. I don't think I have ever spent this much time on any notes for any fucking episode we've ever done, so... She she tried really hard, really hard on this. Sorry in advance. I have not slept much. But this is the story. I don't know if Em knows it. I don't know if you know it. I hope so, because I'm weirdly obsessed with it. And since we started the podcast, I've wanted to cover it. So I figured this is the time. This is the story of D.B. Cooper. Oh, shit. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. That's awesome. Don't mean to so upset you. you do know the story. What? You do know the story. No. I just oh. poured water all over myself. Oh. As you were saying it, I was like, oh, boy. I got to act cool. I got to act cool. And two seconds ago, I was like, why did they give us towels? Now I'm now like, I get okay, it. okay. Anyway, D.B. Cooper, I don't, I know I am very excited about this, but I don't know who okay, he is. Okay, great. I'm but so I've amped. heard his name before. Okay, good. Then I'm going to tell you. All and right, you. now I'm going to know. Hi, let's jump in because there's a lot. Okay. And if it doesn't make sense, will you please tell me so that they're not like, what the hell? Is she yeah, I'll go, wicka what? Wicka yeah. wicka wicka what? That's your secret code to me that it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. So, we are going back to the day before Thanksgiving, November 24th, 1971. A middle-aged man... Yeah, love that day. It was really good. A middle-aged man carrying a black briefcase shows up at the Portland International Airport and approaches a flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines. He uses cash to buy a one-way ticket on flight 305, which is a 30-minute trip north to Seattle, and he identifies himself as Dan Cooper. Uh, he was later described as being in his mid-40s, between 5 foot 10 and 6 feet tall. He wore a black raincoat, loafers, a dark suit, a neatly pressed white collared shirt, a black clip-on tie, and a mother of pearl pie, tie, nope, not pie tin, tie pin. <laughs> a pie tin would have been more exciting. Love it. <laughs> oh. Eva, get rid of that, please. Okay. A mother of pearl <laughs> tie pin. Uh, I like it. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like kind of deranged. Like I'm like Charlie and it's always sunny with my like pin board. And yeah. I'm like, follow me, follow me, follow me. It's going to be crazy and I'm sorry in advance. A couple days ago, th- what's happening to Christine happened to me where I had like the longest notes I'd ever done. Yeah. And I didn't know. I, I felt exactly like that. So it's I get crazed. it. It's crazed. I feel insane. So. We love you. Yeah. Thank you. I love you too. Um, (laughs) thanks guys okay so Dan Cooper self-professed Dan Cooper boards a plane it's a Boeing 727 and he sits in his seat which is 18C definitely not group one like we're used to definitely not group one Uh, he lit a cigarette and he ordered a bourbon and soda you know you could smoke on the plane back then oh yeah cool I don't know (laughs) 
the <laughs> oh, guys. Okay. The plane was approximately one-third full when it left Portland on schedule at 2.50 p.m. So they're in the air. Everything's going as planned. He's drinking his bourbon and soda. Um, when he hands the flight attendant, uh, her name is Florence Schaffner, and he hands her a little folded-up note. Now, she's used to being, like, a flight attendant in the 70s, and she's like, you know, these businessmen, they're always hitting on me. Like, it's just normal, you know, these guys in, being kind of little creepers. So, you know, you know. Oh, I know. Uh, so... <laughs> So she takes the note and, like, puts it in her pocket and moves on. Now, a few minutes later, he calls her back, and he's like, no, 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 come here. And she comes over. He leans in, and he whispers, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. (gasps) I like when I make M guests. It's very exciting. Oh. Yeah. So Florence opens the note (laughs) and reads it right there. It's printed in neat, all-capital letters with a felt-tip pen. It explains that Cooper has a bomb in his suitcase. He asks her to please sit down next to him, and she does, uh, because she doesn't want to startle any of the other passengers. He opens his briefcase long enough for her to see eight red cylinders stacked and attached to wires and a large cylindrical battery. After closing the briefcase, he states his demands, which is $200,000 in $20 bills, which today... I did the math in advance, is $1.2 million, so a lot of moolah. In advance? You didn't just do that on the spot? Yeah, I'm really good at math. Oh, good. You're an inflation calculator. I have an inflation calculator in my brain. And this is the 70s, you said? Yes. Okay, Yes, 71. So he demands $200,000 in $20 bills, four parachutes, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. So he, the reason they think he asked for two shoots is actually really interesting. Um, he was implying that he would take a hostage with him, so he'd have a parachute and a reserve parachute, and then because he asked for two additional shoots, the FBI would think, oh, he's going to take, par- take a hostage with him, so we can't fuck with the parachutes, because if he takes like an innocent bystander and right, jumps right, out of right. the plane with them, and they fuck with the parachute, then they're liable. So right. he asked for four parachutes, um, and then he takes the note back from Florence and says, like, I need that back. And she gives it to him. <laughs> so I need that for someone else now. So <laughs> that's my only copy. I don't know how to write it again. <laughs> but actually, then later they were like, that shows that he was also really well thought. It was well thought out because he didn't want to leave a handwriting sample of Got his it. own name and his handwriting. So he, um, so he took that back and... Then he told Florence to go tell the pilots about his great plan. So Florence goes up to the cockpit um, and tells the pilots, like, hey, there's this guy. He's going to, you know, take over this airplane, and we need to give him a lot of money. So when she returns, Cooper is still in his seat. He's wearing dark sunglasses now. So that's all that's changed. Um, (laughs) And there are drawings of this guy, one without sunglasses and one with. So I don't know. Um, he's the, trying out a couple things. He's trying things. it out. Yeah, trying on his new Ray-Bans. So the pilot, his name is William Scott. He contacts uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport, or as I like to call it, SeaTac. Because yep. I'm very hip. You're so with it. Wow. I'm hip. I, I was going to, I forgot my beanie, but I am very hip. Okay. So he, he contacts SeaTac and he's air traffic control. And um, they then contact uh, local authorities, and then they contact the FBI. 
Um, so the 36 other passengers on the flight were told that the flight was delayed because of a minor technical difficulty. So everyone kind of was like, they don't know what's going on. But then some guy later was interviewed and he's like, no, I knew something was fucking going on because everyone was acting so fucking weird and this guy was in his sunglasses and <laughs> the flight attendant was like sitting with him and he was opening his briefcase. Like they kind of knew what was going on, but <laughs> they were trying to remain cool. Um, so the airline's president, his name was Donald Nyrop, um, he authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with the hijacker's demands. The plane circled Puget Sound, or as M likes to call it, Pungent Sound. That happened, and I'm never going to let it die. I'm so glad everyone here cheered, because everyone in Seattle booed. Um. <laughs> M said, oh, uh, the, uh, the Pungent Sound, and I was like... Oh, no. I was like, look, it's not my fault, Seattle. Y'all got some weird-ass names, so. <laughs> oh, boy. So, anyway, the plane is circling Pungent Sound for approximately two hours uh, because they're waiting for police and FBI to, like, rally the troops, get the money, get the ransom money, etc. Um, and so she, the flight attendant, Florence, describes Cooper as calm, polite, and well-spoken, not at all consistent with the stereotypes of skyjackers at the time. <laughs> but apparently, this was an extremely common thing. Like, this happened all the fucking time. And by the way, I forgot to mention up top, but I got a lot of this information from a really great podcast that I love called Stuff You Should Know. And they're so good. And, like, weirdly enough, they did this story live at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, which is where we were a few days ago. So right. it's just very weird. Uh, coincidence but yeah so they they did a really great job telling this story so thanks to them for the info um but yeah so they talked about how this was basically like called the um golden age of skyjacking is literally what it was called like yikes academically speaking the fact that there's a golden age yes that's not okay yeah so um this happened all the time uh apparently within the three years before uh db cooper's skyjacking there were 100 commercial airline hijackings within three years. So wow. it was also called air piracy. And it was just like very chill and very common. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know, man. That's plain old bad. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't. Stop. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> I'm done. Are you done? Oh, all right. So another flight attendant, her name was Tina Mucklow, and she described uh, Cooper as thoughtful and calm the whole time. He ordered a second bourbon and water. He paid his drink tab and attempted to give Schaffner the change, and she was like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> and walked away. Um, he even requested meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. So... Kind. Yeah, what a guy. So, meanwhile, FBI agents collect the ransom money from several Seattle-area banks, and they note the serial numbers. Uh, police get the parachutes, but in their hurry, they accidentally give him two regular chutes, one military chute, and one dummy chute, which is basically, like, they're sewn shut. The main parachute is sewn shut for training purposes. So, like, at a, uh, a skydiving facility, they'll have one that's sewn shut so they can open up the pilot chute, but not, like open the entire parachute, basically. So they sew it shut, but they put a big X on it to be like, 
don't use this when you're jumping out of a plane. <laughs> and I guess they accidentally grabbed you it. You dummy. Yeah, you dummy. Shoot. Okay. Nope. Okay. So they... <laughs> it doesn't have to land. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, stop. So, right. So they accidentally give him a dummy shoot. Um, and yada, yada. So he gets his four shoots. He and does, that's all. Yeah. At 5.39 p.m., the aircraft lands at SeaTac. You know, that one. That I know the cool hip name. Uh, Cooper instructs the pilots to have each window shade uh, pulled down because he says he doesn't want any snipers to see him, which is actually smart because they did have snipers, like, stationed outside. Right. So he had all the windows, window shades closed. Um, then he sends <laughs> poor Tina Mucklow off the plane to go grab the money and the parachutes and then bring them back onto the plane and give them to him. So at this point, like, she could have just run away and been, like, sure. like hidden. But she got the money in the, in the uh, parachutes, and then she went back on the plane because she knew that if she didn't, then he wouldn't let the hostages go, like the 36 passengers. So this, she's great. So she's our hero, basically. So she right. comes back on. Go, Tina. Go, Tina. So she gets back on the plane with the uh, money, so then he lets the 36 passengers off. Um, so, but before she gets on the plane, uh, the, the FAA had hired this, or they have this, like, psychologist, this chief psychologist, and he's there, and he gives her a quick ass- uh, assessment of the situation, and he says, before you get on the plane, I want to give you kind of, like, an analysis. Um, so I want you to let the pilots know that this guy, what I think is going to happen is he's going to take you guys all up there, He's going to probably take you as the hostage and jump out of the plane with you, Tina. And and then that's why he ordered or asked for four parachutes. And then he's going to blow up the plane. So anyway, go tell the pilots. And so she climbs back on the plane to let the 36 passengers off. And she gets stuck on this plane. So, yeah. Um, Does Tina have, like, a a medal yet? (laughs) She should. She's like, hmm, that's a lot of information to retain. I'll do it. Like, <laughs> Eva, can you find out how to get a medal made, please? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right. So she gets back on the plane and is like, okay, I think this is terrible, but this is what's happening. Um, so once Cooper determines that he's gotten everything he's needed, uh, he tells the pilots to please uh, take off. And everyone on the pl- – so Tina's back on the plane. All the other flight attendants have been let off. It's just her. Um, and so he shared his plan with the crew. He basically said the plane would head toward Mexico City at the slowest possible airspeed, which is 115 miles per hour, at a max of 10,000 feet in altitude, so it would be easier for him to jump out at a slower and, like, lower right, pace, right. Um, because the cabin also wouldn't be pressurized at that height. Um, and also, he asked them to lower the wings 15 degrees, which, weirdly enough, only that was the only type of plane that actually did that. So the fact that he kind of knew that that Interesting. was a like, possibility is a little bit telling. Um, he also said he needed the rear exit door open and the stairs, you know, the stairs that they, like, walk you out on. Oh, yeah. On the runway. So he needed the stairs extended while they flew. And law enforcement was like, no, we're not going to let you fly with the stairs. It's too dangerous. And so, which I'm like, he's about to blow up a plane, but whatever. It's like, okay. what's danger anymore? They're like, we won't, we'll let you do everything else here. Have Tina, but don't put the stairs down. (laughs) Spare Tina, but not the stairs. (laughs) You can, right. So finally they compromised and they said, okay, okay, you can go up and you can let the stairs down when you're in the air. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I'll do that. 
whatever, no comment. Um, so then the pilots were basically like, we can't go all the way to Mexico City because it's a small plane and we don't have the fuel for it. Um, and they're like, well, what do you think about Reno, Nevada? And he's like, I'm going to jump out. Like, I don't care where you're going. Right, right. <laughs> so they're like, okay, I guess we'll fly to Nevada. So, <laughs> oh boy. So, right. So he gets, so the plan is now to fly to Reno. Um, the plane is finally refueled. It's about 7.40 p.m. and they take off. They have only about five people on board. Only about five people. No, they have exactly five people on board. Got it. Uh, Give or take, you know. <laughs> These notes were so long that I put a lot of abbreviations, so I have a lot of, like, squiggle, like, approximately. And so I put, like, approximately 7.40 p.m. So that's why I got a little thrown. But they had exactly five people on board. It was the pilot, whose name is Scott, uh, the flight attendant, Muc- flight attendant Mucklow, co-pilot Radizak, flight engineer H.E. Anderson, and then Dan Cooper. So everyone is in the cockpit except Cooper and Tina, um, and he asked her to sit with him. <laughs> the pilots of friends just lock the cockpit, and she's back <laughs> like, with you him. You got it, Tina. You're good. <laughs> You're good, Tina. It's fine. You're so brave. Oh, my God. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to ruin this. You got it. <laughs> we don't want to get in your way. It's fine. Um, he apparently offers her a stack of the money at this point. Cause like he has these big, this big bag of money. Well, thank God. It's like, you deserve it after He's everything like, I'm putting right. you through. Apparently she turns to him and she goes, no tipping allowed. <laughs> which, which I'm like, that is a bad bitch. Which I'm like, <laughs> but also like, this sounds like a weird 70s movie. Like, it sounds like a movie. It does sound like a script. It no sounds tipping like, allowed. It's like she's like, while I'm here, what witty thing am I going to say when, it, when the time comes? Right. And then he said that, and she was like, this is she's my moment. She's still, like, being flirty. <laughs> it's just wild. Okay, so uh, apparently this happens, and she, like, wouldn't take the money, which I'm like, well, I guess she did think she was about to die, so whatever. Yeah, I, like, what's it for? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? But... Um, so the FBI immediately uh, sends fighter aircraft to shadow the plane, um, but apparently the aircraft were either too fast or too slow because they didn't really think ahead of, like, oh, this plane is going at a certain speed, and so they sent these fighter jets that were, like, too fast, so they passed the plane. Can you imagine, like, looking out the window behind you and being like, oh, they're yeah. going to save us, and then just go, woo! <laughs> Wait! <laughs> Wait! I'm still here! And then the other ones were helicopters that, like, were obviously too slow because they're fucking helicopters. So it's like, so that didn't really work. So the FBI is, like, sending fighter jets, I guess, to, uh, to follow the plane. They send five aircraft in total. Um, but there are a couple problems on board the plane, at least as far as Cooper is concerned. So they had given him the money, all the money he asked for. But instead of, like, a rucksack, like a backpack, they had given it to him in a bank bag, which are, like, those old-school, like, sacks that you have to hoist over your back. And so he has to jump out of the plane with it. So he's trying to figure out how the hell to do this. He decides he's going to sacrifice one of these parachutes, like, cut it up, and use the strings to, like, tie the money to himself. Oh, wow. So, unfortunately, for whatever reason, he picks, uh, out of the four parachutes, he picks, like, the best, most worthwhile parachute, cuts it up, and ties the money to himself. Um, then he takes the military parachute as his backup chute. Oh, no, he takes the military parachute as his main chute. And then as a backup chute, he picks the dummy chute, so the one with the big X on it. 
So I guess it could have been so worse. He was so close. He was so close. So close. So then he has Tina. He asked Tina to please walk with him to the back of the plane where the stairs are and the like emergency exit spot. So he ha- has her walk to the back of the plane and says, "I need you to open the stairs." And they're up, you know, up in the sky, you know, as you are on a plane. Um, <laughs> Usually how they work. Yes. Yes. You know, we've been on them. Um, so she asks. You're not wrong. Yeah. So at this point, she's really nervous, fucking obviously. Like, she's about to jump, be, like, pulled out of a plane, basically, by this guy, at least as far as this, like, psychologist told her. Um, so he's at the back, she's at the back of the plane with him, and she says, hey, can I at least have one of those ropes you're using to tie myself to the plane just, like, while I open the door so I don't fall out? And apparently, this, like, got him so frazzled that he said, quote, never mind. No, honestly, it's fucking fine. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. It's, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not that I thought you could do it to begin with. I'll just fucking do it now. I could, no, by all means, keep fucking going. It's fine. <laughs> um, right, so he basically is like, I mean, I fucking guess if you're going to be like difficult about it, just get away from me. So he says, never mind. He sends her back to the cockpit and is like, just go fucking lock yourself in the cockpit with the rest of them. And she's like, okay. Honestly, out of my face. Honestly, I can't fucking do it. I can't do it right now. And literally seconds later, she's fucking gone. Because obviously. She's like, cool. She's like, you don't need to tell me twice. She is back in the cockpit with the pilots. Um, and Hold on, I lost my place. Um, God damn it. Right. I feel like D.B. Cooper right now. I'm going to send you to the back. God damn it. Um, okay. So she goes back to be with the pilots and locks the door. And he's like, fine, you know what? Forget it. You don't need to come. Just go sit in the cockpit. She goes. Approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashes in the cockpit, indicating that the door to the stairs had been opened. And they, at this point, are, like, obviously freaking out up there, thinking he is going to leave this bomb and it's going to explode. And so they decide to do a fun thing called call back on the intercom um, to ask if he needs anything before he goes. (laughs) Talk about customer service on that flight, though. Uh, Anything else we can get you before our descent? No? And he wasn't even in group one. He was in 18C. But they were really trying to make... (laughs) So they call back and they're like, hey, before you go, like, is there anything else we can give you? We have some, like, cheddar, some stale cheddar, like, uh, snack mix. I don't know. Um, And apparently all he said, he, like, responded on the little thingy, the intercom, and he just says, no. And so at this point, they're like, well, we're fucked. Like, he's going to blow us up. I don't know. And then at approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, indicating Cooper had jumped off the back of the plane. The pilots were like, hey, Tina, why don't you go check? This girl must be given the biggest eye roll. She's like, how much more do I have to do before someone else pitches in around here? She's just picturing that medal we're going to give her because, (laughs) She's like, if I make it out of this, I I better get a fucking award. She better get a fucking medal. We're going to give her one. Don't worry. Don't worry. 
So she goes back, and she doesn't see him. Um, and at this point, as far as anyone knows, Dan Cooper was never seen again. Dun, dun, dun. What? I know. So at approximately 10.15, with the stairs still down, uh, Scott and Radizak land the plane in Reno. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and Reno police surround the plane as it hadn't yet been determined that Cooper was no longer aboard. So obviously, like I mentioned, none of the five aircraft were able to figure out how to follow the plane in an actually helpful manner. Um, so none of them had seen him jump. So at this point, they still weren't sure whether he had jumped or whether he was still on the plane. Um, but an armed search quickly confirmed his absence. They found left on the plane two remaining parachutes, eight cigarette butts, and his black clip-on tie. Ew, but not the pie tin. God, that was stupid. That was the first bullet I read, too. All right. Um, the FBI launched what would become one of the longest and most exhaustive investigations in FBI history, known as NORJAC, Northwest Hijacking. Approximately 1,000 troops searched the suspected jump zone on foot and in helicopters. This, they used the same plane, so like they flew that exact same plane um, out of the ocean, then lowered the stairs and used weights to attempt to determine where he jumped based on like oh. the time. Okay. Um, a super secret spy plane, which is what Wikipedia called it, so don't at me about it. They said it was the super secret spy plane. I got you. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. They said it better than I could. So the super secret spy plane uh, was sent to <laughs> photograph the entire flight path, but no trace of Dan Cooper was ever discovered. Uh, FBI interviewed everyone in the area with the last name of Cooper, which... Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Um, it's at this point that a reporter mishears police and reports uh, that police are searching for D.B. Cooper instead of Dan Cooper, and that's how the name D.B. Cooper kind of got propagated, and he was known as D.B. Cooper ever since. But he never called himself that. It was always Dan Cooper. Um, but FBI actually left it that way, so they didn't change it. Uh, they didn't like publicly announce that it was actually Dan Cooper because they thought if they got a lead on someone named Dan Cooper, it would be more legitimate if that makes any sort of sense. Yes. Um, okay, so another weird thing is that in the 1950s, which was 20 years before, uh, there was a very niche Belgian comic book about a Canadian jet pilot uh, who jumped out of planes named Dan Cooper. And so they were like, well, it seems like that's probably where this guy got his name. Sounds legit. Yeah, and it was, well, it was a Canadian comic, and Dan Cooper, a guy who jumps out of airplanes, it seems... A weird yeah. coincidence, if, if it was a coincidence. Um, so at this point, police basically state openly that they believe D.B. Cooper died during the jump, um, and it would be seven years until any real clue turned up. So in 1978, some hunters in Oregon stumbled upon a plastic instruction placard in the woods, and the placard contained instructions on how to lower a Boeing 727 staircase. So that's weird. Um, but... It, was, it happened to have fallen on, like, the projected uh, flight path. So they were like, well, it could have just fallen out of the plane as he was jumping or whatever. Sure. So it didn't, apparently it didn't lead to any big clues, um, but it did lead to, like, a renewed interest in the case. Um, the next big clue turned up in 1980, which was nine years after the skyjacking. Uh, an eight-year-old boy named Brian Ingram was camping with his family, and he was making a fire pit and digging a hole when he discovered a bag containing 
Yeah. What the fuck? And he was like, jackpot. <laughs> That's why I was digging this hole. I knew I'd find the treasure. Actually, he was like, dad. <laughs> and then his dad was like, jackpot. Actually, his dad was like, no, son, don't touch that. Let's call the police. And I was like, well, you could have a lot. Not me as a dad. No. <laughs> Finders have- keepers. No. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. They could have had a lot more fun. They could have had a lot more fun with that. But apparently, dad calls the police. Womp, womp. Um, but because of that, they let them keep $3,000 as a reward. Okay. And they gave it to, they gave it to eight-year-old Brian. <laughs> Which, I'm like, that's actually pretty great. Like, and then he went, jackpot. Because, yes. Because then, as, because then it's like, oh, okay, we're not going to get in legal trouble, like, by the, from the FBI over this, but also we get to keep three grants. So it's like the perfect uh, solution. And little Brian, um, in 2008, so that was... 11. No. 1980 to 2008. Wait, where were you going? 38 years. No, 28 years? You were thinking past, I was thinking future. It's 11 years from now. Yeah, no, 28, not from now. From now. (laughs) Eva, edit that out. 28 years after the fire pit incident. Okay. Brian sold... $3,000 $3,000 on eBay for $37,000. <laughs> so, what jackpot! a happy ending. What a happy ending to that. Jackpot! Oh, uh, he must have loved camping after that. I, yeah. I feel like, oh man. He's just a lucky guy, that what guy. What a story, though. Anyway, so he, he had a great time. But so. I included this story, well, because it's very interesting, but also because the clue, the crazy clue about this. Nope. Let me start to say that over again. Eva, delete that part. Okay. The crazy thing about this clue is that the money showed up somewhere completely different than where the projected flight path was. So it was kind of like, well, how on earth would it have gotten there in the middle of the woods if someone hadn't taken it there? So um, basically, uh, well, hold on. Yep. Okay. Shh, I got it. <laughs> Basically, it showed up 20 miles south of Ariel, Washington, where they thought that the uh, landing had happened, which was in, and in a completely different river. So they had no clue as to how it got there, but it did kind of add to the mystery and, again, bring up, like, a renewed interest in the case and make people think, like, maybe this guy actually did survive. Um, so anyway, let's talk about the suspects, the possible suspects. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. You're not excited? Oh, no, I'm just eager. Silently, stoically eager. I'm like, carry on. Stoically eager. Okay, love it. (laughs) All right, so who are the suspects is what I wrote. Um, It was established, it's been established, nope, it's been estimated that over, uh, see, this is what I do. I I abbreviated everything to try and fit the notes. And I can't read. It's been est. It's been est. Yeah. Established? I don't know. Nope, it's been estimated uh, that over 1,000 suspects have been interviewed by the FBI. Oh, wow. Um, FBI analyzed his behavior as part of, like, trying to narrow it down. Obviously, it didn't work that well, but the way that they analyzed it was, first off, he chose a military chute as his main parachute, which 
um, is interesting because apparently military chutes can't be steered like uh, civilian parachutes can be. Got it. Um, and so that was interesting because either he knew well enough how to use a military chute that couldn't be steered, or he didn't know what he was doing, and he picked the military <laughs> chute not knowing it couldn't be steered. Either he was really smart or not. Exactly. <laughs> that seems to be the pattern in right. this entire story. So just so you know. Um, so it could mean he's former military, or it could mean he just didn't know what he was doing. Um, he also had picked the dummy shoot, like I said, as his backup shoot. And, like, pretty much most people who were had experienced parachuting, if they see a giant X on a parachute, know better than to pick that as their backup shoot. Um, but it is still commonly believed that he was ex-military, possibly an ex-paratrooper, mostly because he knew so much about the plane. Um, he could also have been an airline employee, they thought, maybe a pilot. Uh, because he knew so much about how the wings worked and how the staircase worked and things that even, like, the law enforcement didn't know at the time. Right. It's Tina's alter ego. Um, so, uh, no, you messed me up. Hold on. <laughs> I got all worked up about Tina I'm just again. thinking about Tina Belcher on a plane now. Oh. I'm always thinking just about Tina Just singing Belcher. about butts. Yeah. So he was also, okay, okay, all right, all right, I got it. <laughs> so he, they thought um, he could be possibly a pilot or worked for the airline at some point. They also uh, realized he was pretty smart in that he wrote his name even when he, so he had taken the letter back from Florence, but he also, when he signed in for the ticket, he wrote Dan Cooper, but he wrote it in block letters to kind of avoid, like, having his handwriting looked at. Right. Um, He'd also taken the note back, so they were like, he clearly thought ahead enough to know what could have caught him, captured him. Um, so one of the first suspects, his name was Richard McCoy. So February 1972, which was four months after the Cooper heist, uh, Richard McCoy hijacked the exact same type of plane, asked for $500,000 in cash, and then parachuted successfully out over Utah. So people thought maybe it was the same guy, because it was only four months later, and he did literally the exact same crime. Um, he was a Green Beret in Vietnam. He looked a little bit like the sketch of Cooper, and so they thought maybe it is the same guy. Um, but this guy eventually gets caught. He goes to prison, um, after which he apparently made a fake gun out of dental plaster, uh, hijacked a truck, and escaped prison. So he's MacGyver. He what? He's MacGyver. A little bit, although then he's killed in a shootout, so it didn't work very well. Uh, but so after all this happens, his fine, his family finally was like, well, actually like he was home on that day at Thanksgiving. So they were like, well, I guess we should have asked you first before we spent years right. tracking this guy down. And they were like, no, like he was home and they had proof oh of my it. God. So after all that, it was not him. Um, the, another suspect was named Kenny Christensen. Um, his brother Lyle outed him as a suspect and then, weirdly enough, hired a private investigator to go find screenwriter Nora Ephron um, because he wanted to make her to make a movie about his brother, and she wouldn't respond to any of his letters. So he hired a PI to go find her, and she still didn't make a movie about his brother, so <laughs> it oh didn't God. work very well. So despite... That weirdness, um, there were, the FBI did look into it, even though it took them years to actually take him seriously. Um, there were a couple similarities, so he looked pretty, he looked similar to the sketch. Um, he was a former paratrooper. He worked for the airline, 
He smoked cigarettes, which I was like, it's the 70s, so that's not whatever. Yeah, it would be weirder if he didn't. Yeah, it would be. Uh, he smoked cigarettes, drank bourbon. He lived in the area where the skyjacking took place. And when they showed Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant, a photo, uh, she said, I think you may be onto something. It's believed he tried to make a deathbed confession. He told his brother Lyle, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. And then the brother was like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> That's he, so mean when it's like, I know a secret. Bye. And so, yeah, but I feel like if I said that to you, it's because I want you to ask exactly. me. It's, but you know what? She shut that shit down. She was like, okay. No, Bye. it was Lyle. His brother Lyle was like, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know who Sorry. you're talking about. You know. You're probably talking about Just me. Just made someone up. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever, Em. It okay. is. So, anyway, his brother was like, cool, that's nice that you have a secret. Anyway, I hope <laughs> Talk you, to you enjoy later. the afterlife. So, right. Guess of, I'll find out then. <laughs> end of conversation. Um, people are still pissed about it, by the way, on these. I went, on, I went a little deep dive into these uh, forums where people, like, go a little crazy on the internet, and people are still pissed at this guy, Lyle, for not harassing his brother into telling him his Like you had one job. (laughs) So who knows? But anyway, so the next suspect came up in 2011. Uh, His name is L.D. Cooper. He lived in the area, and his niece actually was the one who called the FBI. She says she remembers Thanksgiving 1971 at her grandma's house in Sisters, Oregon. Um, Okay, okay, okay. Sure, great. Cool. Um, yeah, you're onto something, baby. Uh, she was eight years old. She said her two uncles were planning something very mischievous involving the use of expensive walkie-talkies. <laughs> so the FBI was like, I don't know why you're calling us, but okay. Um, and then she said the next day, Flight 305 was hijacked, and though the uncles had said they were turkey hunting, LD came home in a bloody shirt and This seems very, like, I mean, it is very circumstantial, but the odd thing was that he was one of the only people on Earth who was a fan of that weird Belgian comic book with Dan Cooper and actually had it, like, pinned onto his pinboard. So it was like, oh, this is all very circum... Like, that's a very Very niche comic. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a little bit odd. So he's obviously on the list as well. Um, Also, his brother was an engineer for Boeing, um, the other uncle. And he didn't have any experience skydiving, which is why uh, people were kind of like, that seems unlikely. But the FBI also uh, eliminated him as a suspect via DNA. So apparently it was not him after all. Um, Now, this is a a really interesting suspect that I didn't expect to find. So her name is Barbara Dayton. She is a pilot and a University of Washington librarian who was born Robert Dayton in 1926. She served in the U.S. Merchant Marine and then the Army during World War II, and she aspired to be a pilot but was denied a commercial pilot's license. She had undergone gender reassignment surgery in 1969 and two years later claimed she was D.B. Cooper, having disguised herself as a man in order to get back at the FAA for not letting her become a pilot. So she was kind of saying this was like my way of getting back at them for not letting me, you know, become a pilot. Way interesting. And so they took, they were like, okay, that's an interesting lead, obviously. Um, but she recanted her entire story after learning she could still be charged and imprisoned for the hijacking. <laughs> she was like, mm, never mind, never mind. 
And then the FBI released a statement being like, it's not, it's not her. <laughs> Got it. But it was like a very interesting kind of like twist in yeah. the case that people... That would have been a neat game changer. It would have been. It really would have been. Um, so, the, so to this day, the D.B. Cooper heist remains the only unsolved airline hijacking in commercial aviation history. Um, y- yay. Uh, it's the reason we walk through metal detectors at the airport. It's the reason airlines can search our bag. And on a Boeing 727, the, air- the staircase now has a white paddle on the outside that holds a stair closed. And you can't open it mid-flight because you have to do it from the outside. And that paddle is called the Cooper vein. So, wow. a fun little twist. So, yeah, you cannot open that from the inside anymore, which is why when they, I think when they Very land, cool. somebody from the outside has to open it because they don't allow it to be open from inside. Very cool. So, kind of an interesting update. Um, so, D.B. Cooper himself has developed quite a cult following and is still widely referenced in pop culture. Restaurants and bowling alleys in the Pacific Northwest hold regular Cooper-themed promotions, sell tour souvenirs. There's a Cooper Day celebration uh, held at the Ariel General Store and Tavern each November since 1974. All right. Uh, there are several aspects, though, that people still kind of debate about the case. Um, so some people wonder, people debate on these forums that I go on now, uh, <laughs> kind of obsessively. Uh, people debate, did Cooper die in the jump? And experienced skydivers say he would have died if it was his first jump ever. Like, there's no way he would have made it. But if he was an expert, then it would have been very easy for him. Uh, There was also one experienced parachutist who believed that anyone who had six or seven practice jumps probably could have pulled it off. So even if he wasn't necessarily, like, an experienced parachutist, he could have probably tried it a few times and then been able to do it. Um... The cold weather may or may not have killed him in the woods. That's also debated. People say, like, it was, like, this crazy rainstorm. It was very cold. Um, and people debate whether or not that would have killed him. Uh, but no body or parachute was ever found either. So that's kind of the opposite of that argument. And then people also argue whether Cooper was from the area or whether he was a foreigner. Um, he, weirdly enough, when they were up in the air and he was sitting next to Florence and they were, like, chatting and he, like, showed her his briefcase, you know? He apparently looked out the window one point, at one point and said, oh, there's Tacoma. And so they were like, well, that seems a little specific if you weren't from the area. Right. So that, that kind of leans toward he's local. But also people say he would be an idiot. That's a quote, not for me. He would be an idiot to hijack an airplane where he could possibly be recognized, which also leans toward not local. Um, so the FBI didn't come to any real solution, and they closed the D.B. Cooper case in 2016. Uh, The Bureau said it won't reopen the cold case unless someone comes up with relevant physical evidence, such as the parachute itself or the ransom money. And believe it or not, there was actually a new break in the case in 2018. So, very recent. Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, I was kind of bummed because the two podcasts I listened to about this were like done in 2017 and I was like well now I have to go like digging by myself to find this information <laughs> <laughs> but but so right in 2018 uh, oh but so actually there was the only other like suspect quote unquote uh, up until that point was actually Don Draper from Mad Men because people literally I mean it was like a very like Blaze said it the second I said D.B. Cooper he goes oh yeah like Don Draper and I was like what Apparently, Weird. And I watched Mad Men, but apparently it was like a really long-running uh, fan theory that he, that 
Don Draper in the finale would become D.B. Cooper. And like, oh, cool. Yeah. And that like that was kind of his backstory. And then because he was kind of mysterious about his name and he was like on these airplanes and had like a bit of money, but nobody kind of knew where he came from. So there was a theory that he well, OK, point being, it wasn't. So I don't even know why I'm telling that. But that was the only possible, quote unquote, like suspect that anyone had had in like decades. So in 2018, there was a new break. Um, filmmaker and author Thomas Colbert led an independent investigation into the case for seven years as part of a documentary he released on the History Channel. He believes the real Cooper is a 74-year-old Vietnam vet named Robert Rackstraw, alleging that Rackstraw actually outed himself in a secret code hidden in a series of letters that were sent to national newspapers in the months after the hijacking. Rackstraw is a former Special Forces paratrooper, explosives expert, and pilot with about 22 different aliases, and he was once a person of interest in the case, but then was eliminated, even though a lot of people in the FBI uh, were, like, upset when the FBI said, we're no longer considering him a suspect. Right. And a lot of agents still said, no, we still think he's the, a prime suspect, but the FBI still took him off of the list. Um, that was a little bit controversial. Um, Colbert and his 40-person team, many of whom were actually our for, former FBI agents, believe the FBI conducted a cover-up protecting Rackstraw because he was involved in classified units during the war and may have worked for the CIA. So they think that the FBI knew it was him and then deliberately, like, you know... Tucked it away. Right. And, like, changed the case to be like, no, he fell at, or he landed in this part of Washington, not this part of Washington. I love that. It's pretty wild. It's yeah. pretty fascinating. Um, in 2016, Colbert actually sued for the Cooper case file under the Freedom of Information Act, and he got a hold of the letters. Uh, the letters had actually been sent by D.B. Cooper after the skyjacking, the mysterious anonymous D.B. Cooper, to several newspapers, I think like Los Angeles Times, New York Times, like a bunch of big newspapers in the U.S., um, and Colbert's team searched them for clues, and lo and behold, they held a secret message in the form of a code and the guy who cracked the code, his name is Rick Sherwood. He is a former member of the Army Security Agency that decoded signals during the Vietnam War and was actually Rackstraw's superior in three different units during the war. Oh. Bananas. So he's looking at these letters and he's going, oh, like, I know this guy's, like, because they, they would communicate that way. So he would say, he said, I know this guy's, um, oh. like, method for coding letters. And so he's reading these letters um, and he's saying, I know his writing style. I know how he does this. I recognize the word patterns he's using. And so he's able to crack these freaking codes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he hones it on two sentences uh, specifically. The first sentence in the letter says, I want out of the system and saw a way through good old unk. And the uh, sentence was decoded to, I want out of the system and saw a way by skyjacking a jet plane. And then the second sentence after that in a letter says, and please tell the lackey cops D.B. Cooper is not my real name. And that was decoded to, I am First Lieutenant Robert Rackstraw. D.B. Cooper is not my real name. Oh, and I so just got chills. Like, that is way cool. <laughs> and so they were like, well, I don't know why anyone. Like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> right. So Rackstraw did deny being D.B. Cooper. Uh, and his lawyer calls this, quote, the stupidest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> However, in numerous past interviews, Rackstar has been coy and conflicting, refusing to confirm or deny whether he's Cooper. In one interview, when asked if he was the hijacker, he smiled and said, could have been. I can't commit myself on something like that. 
that sounds like it could, but I don't know. So Rackstraw is still alive. He's now 74 years old. He's retired. Um, he resides in Coronado, California, where Colbert said he has a yacht called Poverty Sucks. <laughs> he stole my yacht. Oh. Eva, write that down. Okay. Uh, the FBI has not reopened the case, um, and it's unclear if they will, because remember, they closed it and said, unless there's physical evidence, we're not going to reopen it. Um, many people haven't totally bought into Colbert's theory, but as far as Colbert himself is concerned, the case is closed. He told Rolling Stone in an interview, we now have him saying, I am Cooper. Rackstraw is a narcissistic sociopath who never thought he would be caught. He was trying to prove that he was smarter than anyone else, but he couldn't fight 1,500 years of brain power on our team. We beat him. I didn't expect it, but it's the icing on the cake. And that, my friends, is the story of D.B. Cooper. Oh, my God. I'm... Thank you guys. Just for reference, my notes are usually two pages and like, this is just the most insane thing. I am very sorry. I feel like I just like screamed a ton of information at you, but thank you for bearing with me. I appreciate it. Oh my God. Thanks guys. (laughs) Um, I do real quick have a little horoscope about D.B. Cooper. Just (laughs) before I forget. Before I forget, okay, um, so uh, I don't, obviously we don't for sure know who D.B. Cooper is, and there's a lot of possible suspects, um, but I just decided to go with, uh, with uh, what's his name again, Rick, Rick, Don Draper? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Rackstraw, that's his name. I went with Robert Rackstraw's birthday, because I was like, well, it's possible, so he's a Scorpio, I thought that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> He did it. He did it. Uh, (laughs) For those of you uh, who have been dragged here today by a family member, a significant other, and really just want to go home, um, first, I'm sorry. Second, uh, this is the part, just to clarify, where I give um, unwanted astrological advice to people who can't use it anyway. So um, get ready for that. You're welcome. Um, Right, so Rackstraw's a Scorpio, um, and this is the uh, lovely horoscope I found yesterday for Scorpios. So if you're a Scorpio, also listen. Also, also get out, but also listen. Okay. <clears throat> you may find your ego is keeping you in the limelight this week, Scorpio. You are capable of pulling off massive missions, but don't feel the need to tell everyone you meet about them. Why not step away from the drama? Have you considered taking a mini vacation? And that is the finale of the story of D.B. Cooper. Oh, sorry. I know that was long. That was way long, and I'm sorry. Thank you, guys. Holy shit. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys, so, so much for having us. Oh, this is the best. 
my gosh. Oh, whoa, standing <laughs> O, standing <Wow>. O. <laughs> You're the first people to I ever stand you. on what a car. Wow. Sit down. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. What the fuck? I wish I had my phone to videotape that because I'm pretty sure I'm going to think I was lucid dreaming yes. just now. Holy shit. Woo. All right, we get it. You're the best. We get it, Portland. God damn it. Portland, you really brought the game. Uh, our first standing ovation ever. That was really quite something. Um, thanks to everyone who was there, everyone else who has come to our other live shows or is planning to. We love seeing you guys. Uh, at this point in the show, we usually do a, a kind of a live presentation of something, but we're not going to put it here. Uh, for one thing, it's pretty visual. And for another, we like to keep it just for our live show audiences. It's something a little bit special. So if you guys want to see it, we would love to have you uh, check out and that's why we drink.com slash live. And hopefully we'll see you guys soon. We love you all. We'll see you next week. Big hugs, big kisses. And that's why we drink. Mwah. Thank you so much, Portland. We love you, Portland. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports, or unwind on a mile-long, pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views. This vacation paradise has it all. Celebration Key, welcoming guests in summer 2025. Carnival, choose fun. Copyright 2024, Carnival Corporation. All rights reserved. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama.